How in the world do you have that conversation with your child about one of the toughest subjects ever discussing either death, illness, or loss of someone who is important to them in their lives? Today, we're going to give you some incredibly good information from two amazing authors of the book, Giving Hope, Conversations with Children about Illness, Death, and Loss. Our guests today are Elena Lister and Michael Schwartzman. Elena is an associate professor of clinical psychiatry at New York Presbyterian Wheel Cornell Medical Center and is the senior consulting analyst for grief at Columbia Psychoanalytic Center. She treats both adults and children facing all kinds of life issues, specializing specifically in grief, and is frequently sought out as an expert in dealing with loss in schools across the country. She's also the author of the book, I Will Remember You, a guidebook through grief for teens, the co-author of that. My other guest is Michael Schwartzman, PhD, a senior psychologist and board certified psychoanalyst who works with children, adults, adolescents, and families for over 40 years. In addition to his private practice, Dr. Schwartzman is also a consulting psychologist at two independent schools for children and regularly lectures to parents and professionals on child development, parenting, and school-related issues. He is the author of The Anxious Parent, Freeing Yourself from the Fears and Stresses of Parenting. Help me welcome both of these guests to the show today. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello, this is Mary Jo Tinlin from Teaching Your Toddler, and I'm so excited today to welcome Michael Schwartzman and Elena Lister, Lister to the show. And uh, we are going to talk a little bit about a kind of a tough subject, but I'm, I know that we're going to have some incredibly valuable information for you. So first of all, I will let um, you both introduce yourself. So Elena, how about you start with yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself and about um, the subject we're going to talk about today. Hi, thank you. Yeah, first of all, thank you for the opportunity to talk with you. We were very uh, looking forward to this very much. You have a wonderful podcast. Um, so I'm an adult and child psychiatrist. I'm on the faculty at Columbia and Cornell here in New York City. I have a therapy practice where I treat people with all sorts of life challenges, but I specialize in dealing with grief and loss. And um, I can't really say that without including at least briefly that that started because I had a daughter who was ill with leukemia and then died from that leukemia when she was six. Mm. And at the time that she died, we had a nine-year-old. So I was mm. facing dying and death with children in this mm -hmm. age range um, personally. And I found that there was not um, professional help for us. Mm -hmm. And I'm in the field. I thought if I'm not able to find help, the people who are not are going to have a much, much tougher time. And I have so devoted my life work really to working in this realm to make it um, easier for people to handle dying and death, not feeling alone mm -hmm. ever since, mm -hmm. which was okay. about, well, age me 25 years ago. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Gosh, I'm so sorry for your loss, but thank you. I'm so, uh, it's amazing that you were able to share that for people so that they can be helped. Thank you so much. Michael, how about you? Thank you. Thank you very much for having us. Um, so I am a psychologist who also has a practice in uh, in New York. I work with children. I work with, you know, adolescents and adults. Um, I also work, now I work in a, uh, in a school on the Upper East Side in Manhattan. And... <clears throat> 
I've spent a lot of time with children and their parents. I'm very, very interested in how to help people talk about whatever it is, but mostly in our line of work, it's difficult things. And um, when I met Elena years ago over a matter that we shared um, in a school, you know, it was just very, very clear to me that when you're able to talk about, you know, impossible things, it permits you to do better and better and better with those very impossible things. So I think for me and I think for us, this is an extension of what we started together years ago. And, you know, it's sort of like giving us an opportunity, which we're both very interested in, 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 in just being able to bring people together to be able to develop more of a capacity and ability to have these kinds of conversations. Thank you. And when you use the term impossible things, are, does that mean just like really tough subjects that we never get like a manual on as parents? I mean, I think as human beings, these things are just very, very upsetting and you have to be able to find your balance so mm -hmm. that you can feel what you feel, but also think about it mm -hmm. in, in constructive ways. And yes, it's impossible for us as individual human beings and therefore it becomes impossible in in the way that you work and deal, take care of, raise up, you know, your child. And mm -hmm. um, because we know these things are inevitable, mm -hmm. you know, our wish is to try to make that easier. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, I thank think you. Some, sometimes we think about it as trying to help people bear the unbearable mm. and that death and loss are kind of top at the list for mm -hmm. what's unbearable to all of us of all ages. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I'm sure, you know, because the concept of death for children has got to be, well, it certainly varies with their developmental age, right? Like what they'll even know of like, okay, this person is now not going to come to the house anymore or now, you know, versus now they know what actually happened, what death actually means. And there's a huge range, right? Based on where they are, what their life experiences are and all of that. So I know, you know, in the last, unfortunately, in the last several years, we've been dealing with this with, you know, things that are going on in society. And I know you also address some of the the challenge of suicide. I mean, that's something that our family has had to address from you know families around you know during during COVID. They, my son lost two of his his classmates to that, unfortunately. And so, you know, those those are just. And he's a little bit older. He's you know he's going into high school. But um, but you know, so you still like how do you how do you talk about those kinds of things? So I'll I'll let um maybe Michael you start and then Elena please continue. But tell us a little bit about you know how what does that look like for how do you talk about death with children? Huh. That's a big question. Mm -hmm. The uh, you know, if you think back, when little children, very little children, see something and you hide it. For them, it disappears. Mm, it's yes. the basis to that shell game that sometimes right. you see on the street in New York, where they're hiding the little pea under the shell, mm -hmm. and they're trying to see if they can outsmart you. Mm -hmm. But it's it begins, you know, infants they they it's not there when it's gone. Right, peekaboo, right? Peekaboo, peekaboo, mm -hmm. perfect, yes. And then as 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 we get older, as a child develops they become able to carry a mental image in their mind, irrespective of whether that object or that person is there. Mm -hmm. 
So if you think about that and that line of development and you try to use words that aim towards where a child is in that conceptual development, you have a kind of anchor, a kind of guideline. Also, you know, we talk a lot about knowing the child that you're talking to, how they want to be talked with, you know, and, and then how to set that up. So you, you know, you, you, you want to be thinking about the child you have and the way they're best going to understand what you have to say. And the last thing, because I know Elena will have a lot to add, the, the idea is we express so much with our words, mm -hmm. but in some ways we express more in the way we feel and the way we emanate our feeling. Mm -hmm. And especially for a younger child who's constantly reading us, you know, we're always emanating a feeling. So we talk a lot about wanting to prepare ourselves mm -hmm. so that that conversation is not, you know, just an outflow of our own emotions. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a show of emotion, but it's really a cradling in understanding. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You know, I will add in, Michael, you've said so many of the things that um, I know we share belief in and we write about in the book. I want to expand a little bit on the know yourself. What we do in our book is we sort of identify best practices and they're straightforward, five, six, uh, seven of them. And they're kind of anchors, things that you can kind of uh, represent a general concept. And one of them is know yourself. So that is addressed to someone taking care of a child. And that know yourself involves, if it's either death in general, the concept that things die or particular loss, what does this mean to me? Mm -hmm. So we, we present some questions you can ask yourself to help yourself get your bearings. Hmm. What does this mean to me? Is this stirring losses I've had in the past? How have I grieved in the past? Mm -hmm. uh, what are my fears about death? What do I think happens after death? And so on. So that when, as Michael was saying, when you sit down to have a conversation with your child, you are anchored in who you are. Mm -hmm. And that, therefore, whatever they respond, you're in a steady place. And mm -hmm. it's not going to be oh no, this is tapping right into what makes me feel the worst because you've worked with what makes you feel the worst. Mm -hmm. And if you recognize it, even during the conversation, you can put it in a place because you've worked through something. And then in the know your child, some, another best practice, some um, children like to be talked to like face-to-face. -face. Mm -hmm. Other children like to be rolling their truck on the ground while they talk to you. Um, others like to be in your lap while they mm -hmm. talk to you. Uh, we would recommend no electronics mm. um, on. So the conversation is direct with another human being, mm -hmm. but that you respect your child's way. Mm. So really this is all about respecting who your child is mm -hmm. and creating space for them where they know that they can say anything they think, ask anything they need to ask, and that you are going to respond with their best interests in mind mm -hmm. um, and sort of reading them. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's not one conversation, it's many mm. and it's a process. And um, it starts in that first conversation. Oh yes, this frog died. Let's say for example, mm -hmm. uh, or Mr. Rogers used to say every uh, four-year-old should have a goldfish. 
because then they have the experience of a loss that isn't mm-hmm. huge mm-hmm. Um, and they get to, you know, sort of try it out. Mm-hmm. Um, or if it's a particular loss, um, you're, you're introducing it and then it settles and mm-hmm. children like all of us need some time to let things process through. Mm-hmm. So you say, do you have any questions? And maybe they say, can we have mac and cheese for lunch? So, okay, fine. You know, that's enough for now. Mm-hmm. And you're going to go on. And then later you check back in or something else happens that activates a, a similar conversation. And then as a child gets older, you have that conversation about death in different and more depth ways, meaning Mm -hmm. that you can take it deeper. Mm -hmm. So a four-year-old conversation, a 10-year-old conversation, a 15-year-old conversation, and if you're lucky and your children stay close with you when they're in their 20s, a 20-year-old conversation, Mm -hmm. and so on. And it adapts to who they are developmentally. Mm -hmm. So um, how do you talk about death? Um, A lot of different times, (laughs) Mm -hmm. paying attention to the child and yourself, and Mm -hmm. most of all, knowing that there's no one right way. Mm -hmm. Parents make mistakes all the time, and that's okay. Thank you for saying that. And and just in case um, the listeners haven't read the show notes, the the book that, that, that they are referring to is called Giving Hope Conversations with Children About Illness, Death, and Loss. So it's not just death that you've written about, you've written about loss as well, and, and I'm sure other ways, um, and and then illness. And I know some of the show notes talk about terminal illness, and I want to talk about that. But first, before you before we go on, I thought it was really important that in, in the notes here, you, you both have said that the children's reactions, whatever they are, are okay. And I think it's really important to sort of coach parents to know, you know what, like you said, if they ask for mac and cheese and they're not crying, that's okay. That's the way their brain is working on it right now, right? What what other sort of words would you say about that? Michael? Say, say that last part for me again. It's sort of like I lost it a little bit. Oh, no, it's okay. Um, So, you know, if your child doesn't immediately burst into tears and needs some mac and cheese instead, you know, what, uh, tell us, you know, a little bit about like, how do parents sort of, how can we coach or how can you two coach the parents to know a little bit like that, that the reactions are okay. It's okay if they can't process it at this very moment that, that mm-hmm. it's going to maybe bake in their brain a little while and then they might come back and ask you more questions. What else mm-hmm. can you tell people, parents about that? You know, this probably falls into the area that Elena was referring to, you know, where a parent is asked to clear themselves Mm. and and, and settle into, you know, how they're feeling and be accepting of how they're feeling. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just a it's just something to know that people, all people uh, grieve in their own ways. Mm. I mean, there are similarities, but they they grieve in their own ways. They feel the loss in their own ways. Mm-hmm. Children have a way of dosing things for themselves mm. that uh, parents, that grownups don't. Um, I mean, grownups do it, but they do it, um, uh, you know, in a much more straightforward way. Uh, children can go off and play and distract themselves. They can lighten their load by getting involved with their friends. And it's very, very important that parents know developmentally children use their play, they use their activities Mm -hmm. as ways of absorbing, you know, what's going on. So if a parent has that understanding and if they're clear for themselves and are feeling, you know, kind of okay, it's easier to accept, you know, that that children are going to do it, you know, in their way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's that's great. 
Taking off on that, so let's say you have siblings of different ages in a family mm. and you have to break the news. First of all, we would um, suggest that everybody hear news at the same time, even okay. if there's a four-year-old and a 10-year-old, because you want to reinforce that this is a family experience. We're mm. going through this together. And then the older child can get more information later that might not be appropriate for the youngest child, but you speak to the youngest person in the group. Mm. Okay. And um, you can say quite, so let's say the four-year-old is sobbing hysterically because Aunt Jenny died. And the 10-year-old is like, feels like ice, totally mm-hmm. numb, no reaction. Mm-hmm. So what a parent could do in that moment is basically validate for each of them that that's an okay response. Mm-hmm. It, just because you cried, and you didn't does not mean that one or the other of you felt more or less about this mm-hmm. and that this is what you feel right now and that it it's going to change. We know that for sure. We're not mm-hmm. sure how exactly, but we'll be with you every step of the way. So that's one thing. You just basically say any reaction that you have is fine, mm-hmm. including no reaction mm-hmm. because numb is a kind of feeling. Mm-hmm. It's a way of saying, and sometimes we can explain this to children. It's a way of saying, I don't want to have any feelings about this right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's that's okay. Or confused. Mm-hmm. We also talk about how do you define confused for a child? Maybe there's, the, there's a six-year-old and they're looking like, what? What does this mean? And who's Aunt Jenny anyway? Mm. Kind of thing. And so, you know, okay, let's take it more slowly and we'll go through it. So I think you, you directly say mm-hmm. whatever you feel is okay. Okay. And we're here to deal with whatever it is that comes up. And Elena, as a follow-up to that, so what if you aren't sensing a, a reaction at all? Is there is it appropriate to sort of press in and make sure that they even understand or that they're not just completely de- in denial? Oh, it's such a such such a good question. I'm sure Michael will have stuff to pitch in on this too. Um I I would say we don't press, mm. but what uh, we would like to advocate is that you allow for the sometimes awkward feeling pause mm. or silence and you let something sit through and then maybe one of the children has like no reaction. And so you can say, just like you were suggesting, okay, so, you know, is everybody clear about what happened? Mm. Um, and then you maybe say it again. Mm-hmm. Um and still there's no reaction. Okay, that's fine for now. Rather than pressing in that moment, anybody have any questions? No questions. Um, you might go back to the childhood, no reaction at all later, one-on-one mm-hmm. and say, so how are you doing with the news? Mm-hmm. You know, I know I've been thinking about it. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Have you been thinking about it at all? Mm-hmm. So you're, you're kind of following your child along mm-hmm. and, if they still won't talk about it, I mean, like it's a big loss and they're still not talking about it. We have a story in the book of a little girl who wouldn't talk about her mother dying. Mm-hmm. And what the father ended up doing was taking out paper and crayons and drawing a picture and saying, I'm going to make a lot of uh, grade because I'm sad and you want to draw a picture too. And so sometimes children need nonverbal ways to articulate what they're feeling so mm-hmm. you can you can use art so um if there are no feelings at all for a really really long time that's when you might say okay mm. i think we gotta take a look at this a little more closely okay thank you michael did you have anything to add to that yeah i mean 
the the in that part that has to do with knowing your child mm-hmm. there's probably some consistency that you could recognize in how they react to things so that's going to settle you now i don't know if behind that question you're wondering if there's something to be concerned about you know when a child doesn't mm-hmm. react that's kind of what i was thinking is yes is yeah. there some concern yeah. there of mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, we, we, we would take the position that no reaction is a reaction. And we would be thinking along the lines of style. Mm-hmm. And then we would press it. And, and there are many ways of expressing, you know, what the feeling is. And you're going to be able to observe that over time, mm-hmm. it, which includes that they might take it out on somebody else. Mm. But, um, you know, one one other part here that I think is very interesting is whenever you talk to a group of people, Mm -hmm. they react to different parts of what you're saying. Mm. So what you or I might take as where we go when Elena says something, somebody else might take it in a different way. Mm -hmm. So when I was listening to Elena and thinking about your question, I was thinking that, well, maybe when a child hears something about loss, they immediately start thinking about their parents Mm. uh, and losing their parents or how their parents are feeling. And they're not ready to actually say that because to say that means you have to like think about it more and it's too upsetting. Mm. So, you know, you never know what's underneath that being quiet. Mm. So if you think about it as something that's going to come out over time, mm-hmm. you'll, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Okay. All right. Good. Thank you. And I'll pitch in. Thank you, Michael, for clarifying about your, you know, when should a parent be concerned? Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, if a child is showing behaviors mm-hmm. that are very atypical for them, mm-hmm. child who hasn't wet the bed, starts wetting the bed, child who separated easily for school is now clinging, mm-hmm. child's not eating the same way or sleeping and they don't want to sleep alone. So, you know, you can sometimes see it in behavior too. Okay. And all of those are messages. Mm-hmm. They're messages to you as a parent okay, this something is overwhelming my child because it's coming out in action, not in words. Mm-hmm. That would be a time to help them find the words because what we say, and I think I'm going to quote Mr. Rogers again here, mm-hmm. what is manageable is manageable. Mm. So if you can give a child ways to talk about it, some of those behaviors quiet down. Mm. Okay. You don't have to channel it out in that way anymore. Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you for those really practical examples of things to look for. That That's extremely helpful. I think I have two more questions and, I'll, and then we'll probably wrap up. So that one of my questions, and I'm not sure which one of you would answer this or both, please. Um, is it ever appropriate to to go to therapy together with your child? Um, again, that's a, and you're asking people who do therapy all day. So (laughs) the answer would be absolutely yes. Okay. Um, or the other side to that answer would be, you know, as long as you're thinking about it and talking about it and you have some sense of who you're going to go and see, Mm -hmm. going to see a therapist with your child is not going to be, you know, a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be a one shot deal. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But, you know, is there something that you had in your mind when you were at when you were thinking of that? Um, yeah. When you were wondering about that question? 
Not really. I, I was more because in your earlier comments, you were both sort of alluding to, you know, children, of course, reflect how we react. And so if we are processing and need some therapy to react to something, I wondered, does it make sense then for them to come along and help maybe as a group to process it? I, I'm not sure. That's kind of no, my, I mean, my you're talking you're, you're 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 talking about something that, again, would be one way for one person, another way for another person. Okay. But Clearly, therapy can be, well, very helpful to all of it, but particularly it can be very helpful to the parent, mm -hmm. you know, who's settling themselves. Yes. It can even be helpful in trying to clarify for that parent what they want to focus on, you know, if they do bring their child in. And, you know, a therapist is a supported conversation. Yes. So what you're thinking about really is, is it, is it beneficial at times to have someone there with experience who can support you know, the more talking of the difficulty, mm -hmm. uh, you know, between the child and the parent. Excellent. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And I was thinking, you know, that the thing that a therapist can provide is a space with nothing else happening where the people who are there don't have to worry about the therapists. Mm -hmm. And if there's been an issue with communication, um, then you have a space to to facilitate talking with each other and okay. finding words to say the tough stuff. Mm -hmm. So maybe that would be, mommy, I'm afraid you'll die. Mm. And the child doesn't want to say that, but in this setting, they might. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I'm really mad that you, whatever, mom mm -hmm. or dad or grandpa, or, or maybe the parent has something they want to ask the child, but they're scared to do it on mm -hmm. their own. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we are therapists. We believe in therapy, clearly. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, <laughs> when, when people um, come to me for a consultation, I've been in the position of saying, you know, I think things are okay right now. Mm, okay. And it's fine. So we've had this chance to talk about it. I'm not going anywhere. But why don't we check in again in a month? Mm -hmm. But for right now, I think that things are okay. So we're not automatically going to recommend therapy, even though we believe it's great stuff. Yes. Um, and sometimes you just follow with people for a while. But mm -hmm. as a therapist, I will work with any combination of people that the situation seems to call for. Okay. Sometimes it's individuals. Sometimes it's a couple because grief affects a, um, parents differently. Yes. Same loss. So sometimes there's conflict in a marriage because one person is grieving one way and the other person is grieving another way and they're mm -hmm. both hurting so much. How do they take care of each other? Mm -hmm. so they're, or a parent and a child or two siblings together. So mm -hmm. any permutation, basically. Perfect. Perfect. Last question. Um, I did want to sort of close the loop on the, the the title of the book also talks about illness and loss. And so, Michael, maybe you'll start and um, tell us a little bit about what how that sort of differs. You know, if you find out that a family member has a terminal illness or, or something like that along that line where they're not gone yet, but maybe it's appropriate to start to talk about that a little bit. It's a very interesting question to me. The um you know, the, the one wonder that I've had, and we've talked about this, you know, which is more difficult, kind of like the realization and recognition that there's something wrong mm. and the person passing away. Because right. in many ways, how it comes to you and how you receive it and what you make of it is 
you know, can be very complicated and very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. And, the, and, and the whole idea that I guess we hope for is that when people realize something, they can, you know, realign their mm. thinking, their planning, uh, their looks towards the future um, and not just let go. Mm-hmm. So, yes, there's a very significant difference in how you talk about the idea of of loss and the realization um, of loss when you're ill mm-hmm. versus loss when you when you pass away. So, you know, grandpa will not be able to play in the same way, mm-hmm. but he will be very present, you know, to be with. And we want to be with him, you know, as you know, as we can. Mm-hmm. Um, but illness dictates you know, a loss of energy, mm. you know, uh, 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 you know, a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's very important to try to help a child realize the difference between someone being ill. Mm-hmm. And, and as you realize that someone is going into the phase where it becomes terminal, mm-hmm. it's always, and we talk about this, it's always best to try to explain that and, and, and bring the child into an understanding so that there are no surprises, there are no shocks, um, and it's more manageable that way. Perfect. Thank you. And I'll add in something. Once you find out that some member of the family, let's say, or somebody that everybody cares about, a teacher, is terminally ill, you adult are altered. Mm. You're upset. You're carrying this worry um, about how it will impact you, how it will impact the, your child, your child, how it will impact the family and life. And your child is going to sense that something is off. Mm. So if you don't tell them, you're actually leaving them to worry and imagine maybe something even worse mm. than this very sad situation. So we would say, tell them, and that that's another one of those processes you start off by saying, grandpa's sick mm. and he's getting a lot of great medicines. And then let's say it progresses. Well, you know, the medicines have not worked for grandpa and we have found out from the doctors that he's going to die. Mm-hmm. And then we want to be with him in the best way for him and all of us in the meantime. And what that does is give the child a gift of time. Mm-hmm. They get to say the things they may want to say to somebody before they die. Mm-hmm. They can express love, um, you know, and, and we have some stories about that in the book, or, you know, experiences we've had as therapists. And what that does is after that person dies, uh, um, the residue is less Mm -hmm. because you've had this experience of being able to say goodbye. Mm -hmm. And that's healing in many ways. And the person who's dying has been able to say, I love you Mm -hmm. and it's all going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Or if they can't speak, then it's just a being togetherness. Again, we emphasize everybody being together about about it on the same page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and getting that closure, I guess, right? Yes. Well, thank you so much for talking to us today. This has been incredibly helpful. I feel like um, I feel like the listeners are listeners are going to get a ton out of it. Um, just as a last uh, point for um, how about Michael and and then Elena, just tell us a little bit. You know, how do we find you? How do people find out more about you? Of course, I'll put all the show notes uh, in all of the show notes. I'll have links for the book and and all of that. But what else do we need to know? So thank you for that. So we both have. Web websites, okay. Elena Lister MD.com, Michael Schwartzman PhD.com. Perfect. Our book is in 
the bookstores I visited myself um, <laughs> and on all the online bookstores. Um, and we're around. We're trying to talk about this. Absolutely. Perfect. <laughs> Um, yes, I, I never had a website before this book. Um, but when you write a book, they tell you, you need to have a website. So we mm. made websites. Um, and the other thing I did that I'd never done before was join Twitter. Oh. So I'm on Twitter and okay. I post often things about, uh, helping children grieve and dealing with death and dying. So, uh, that's another place. It's, uh, at Elena Lister, MD one. Okay. Perfect. Handle. Excellent. I will make sure your Twitter handle is in the show notes as well. Well, again, it's thank on you. the website too, anyway. <laughs> okay, perfect. Well, again, thank you to both of you. This has been fabulous, um, tough subject, but incredibly helpful, practical ideas for parents. Um, and I can't thank you enough. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having us. Thank Excellent. you. Thank you. It's been a delight to talk Pleasure. with you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Have a great day. Bye bye. Okay, thank you, you too. Bye bye. This has been the Teaching Your Toddler podcast with Mary Jo Tinlin. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you'll find us on our website at teachingyourtoddler.com, as well as on Facebook at Teaching Your Toddler, on Instagram, and on Twitter at Teaching Toddler. So join us again, and I hope you have a wonderful week. Thank you so much.